0: Hello, everyone. My name is Jen Golden, and I am uh, the treasurer of the International Council on English Braille, and I represent Canada on the executive. I also work for a company called Crawford Technologies, and uh, I'm going to just give you a really high level overview of the paper I've submitted to the 7th General Assembly, and uh, if you'd like more information, then you can um, read through the paper um, or ask questions, I believe, at uh, the assembly on Zoom. So the title of the paper is Automated Braille, the good, the bad, and the fabulous. And I went with this title because I think there are some really, excuse me, some really good things about automated braille. There are some really bad things about automated braille as well, Um, but of course, As a Braille reader, um, so I sort of, I've got the transcriber position and I've got the Braille reader position and as a Braille reader, I love the increased access to Braille that that it can provide. So that's sort of where the title comes from. Um, If someone had told me 10 years ago even that I'd be able to access almost any book that I want and I could even read it in Braille, I would not have believed it. I will say that automated braille translation, such as Apple's built-in braille support, has gone a long way towards making this a reality. Now, having said this, as I've already sort of mentioned, uh, in creating or generating braille without human intervention does have its drawbacks. And so it's important not to forget about those. So when is automated braille a viable option and when is it problematic? Um, And when is it just simply a, a game changer? So those are sort of the the questions that I'd like to answer as I quickly go through my paper. So whether you're a Braille reader or a transcriber or an educator, whatever your connection is to Braille, there's no denying that the effect of that technology definitely has had an effect on the production and use of Braille most of us have gotten that question at some point in the last few years. How is it, how is technology affecting Braille? And there are a number of ways to respond to that. I'm not really going to go into that here, but um, you know, there's, there are um, again, sort of several approaches and that's kind of a whole, a whole other topic of discussion, right? I mean, we're all sort of here because we believe that technology complements Braille rather than, renders it obsolete. So I won't even go down that path. But at the 6th General Assembly in Baltimore, I did give a presentation on automated Braille for transaction documents such as credit card statements and phone bills. And I have, um, I will admit, I have used some of my own material again in this paper. But instead of focusing on personal and confidential information, what I wanted to do uh, today is to focus on how automated Braille is produced. So I'm gonna provide an overview of the advantages and disadvantages. And I also wanted to offer just a few suggestions that can help Braille readers become more proactive in gaining access to information in Braille. So really quickly, um, a little bit of sort of defining terms, manual versus automated transcription. Um, In the space where I work, when we talk about manual transcription, we're not talking about uh, sitting down at a Perkins Brailler um, What we're talking about is using, you know, a software like Duxbury or Braille Blaster, where the software does do quite a bit of the work, but there's still a transcriber uh, doing a lot of work, you know, a certain amount of work to uh, fix certain things and adjust some formatting and just to um, intervene in certain contexts. So we still sort of consider that manual. It's best suited to things, um, and I'll come back to this a bit later, but anything that's very complex in nature, technical material, textbooks, things for new braille learners. You don't want to just run that through an application and hope it works out. Um, so in all of the things I'm going to say, I, it's sort of a disclaimer that in no way am I saying that transcribers are no longer needed or that um, they don't have a huge role to play. So I just don't want anyone to hear that in any of, the, in any of my praise of automated braille. I, I certainly wouldn't want uh, that to be any sort of takeaway. So moving on to automated braille, basically I I refer to two different types and the automated braille that is done, um, at my, uh, where I work is sort of the, um, we're an application a developer builds an application that's you know meant to to deal with a very specific brand so let's say one thing we use a lot is blue bank and it's just sort of a generic sample statement and so you build an application that can process the statements that blue bank produces and it, it's very specific and can only be used for the various templates that you know that particular company produces on the fly, transcri- uh, automated transcription, um, there's a number of different, there are a few other different terms for that. But when I'm referring to that, I'm talking about the kind of Braille you get when you pair a Braille display with, let's say, an iPhone or an iPad. And that is a little different because, again, the the software um, the Braille is generated automatically, but I'm not talking about somebody building an application for a specific template. You just pair your display and whatever is on your phone, it, you know, the results is Braille that is, you know, it will, as we'll discuss, it will have some issues, but it's, um, you know, it's it's whatever you have on your phone as opposed to somebody building an application for a specific template. So, just a really quickly, regardless of the software that's used to generate Braille output, and now I'm specifically focusing on automated Braille, the basic premise is the same. Braille rules have to be coded into the software so that it will know how the output should appear. This is especially true for contracted Braille, and and an example would be, you know, the program needs to know that the E A in T cannot be contracted T as in the beverage, um, and but the E A in T time when it's all one word can be contracted um, it needs to know that brl represents the word braille but that this contraction can't be used in a symbol sequence such as print slash braille or the website BrailleLiteracyCanada.ca. so um, the rules are coded in and sometimes the dictionary is used to sort of address any kind of exception that that the rule won't cover a website such as rbthydro.com which is made i just made that up um, would normally just contract the th but that's actually not correct and so sometimes you 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 know maybe you add that to a dictionary so the system knows not to do that so in when with automated braille you don't have a certified transcriber going in and actually doing the work there's um in the application development side that that i'm referring to with you know bank statements and credit cards yes there is proofing um there are QA procedures in place, but as you know, if you're a braille reader and you pair your display with your phone, someone's not proofing that before you read it. It's just going straight to you. So one thing about the applications, the transactional materials, the bank statements, if the print, the original file is convoluted and contains errors, these are, these are going to be reflected in braille because the file is run through the application and we don't go in and make all sorts of corrections. We actually don't have the right to do that because we're not the content owners um so i guess this, so this is that sort of just a high level overview of automated braille in 2016 braille literacy canada um published what we called guidelines for the production of transactional documents and this just covered um I'll tell you really quickly the kinds of things that are included um, because of the, the unique situation that is involved in this, these kinds of documents. So things like placement of terms and conditions, truncated text, you know, when you get your visa statement and you, you know, it doesn't spell out, um, you know, maybe the name of Shopper's Drug Mart, it's a Canadian drugstore for those of you who um, are from other parts of the world and you might have something like shopper dro instead of or shopper drug instead of shoppers drug mart um how do you deal with that because that can sometimes affect contraction rules uh, check images pie charts and other visual information that's difficult to um, convert into braille how are you supposed to deal with that in that context remittance vouchers printed information um that may be included for identification purposes, foreign language words in an English context, binding versus stapling of the embossed output. So this is just some of the things that the guidelines cover. And if you would like this actual document, um, you can send an email to info at blc-lbc.ca. And finally, the implementation of UEB has had an impact on automation. so the one-to-one correlation of uh, Braille to print uh, is huge because in an automated environment, it makes it easier for the software. Um, it's, it's definitely not perfect or seamless, but it makes it easier for the software to figure out what it's supposed to do. So for example, the dollar sign or the period, you know, they are the same symbol regardless of where you, find, you know, where you find them in the document. So the software doesn't have to try to guess. The overall consistency of UEB rules generally has kind of helped to make the automation process uh, more effective as well. And uh, again, I I don't want to go into too much detail here because you could spend a lot of time talking about that, but things like contraction use or non use, as the case may be. um, Capitalized passages can present a bit of an issue because where a transcriber will know where a sensible, you know, that something might not necessarily be all one item. The software may not necessarily know that and in these kinds of documents, there can be a lot of, um, a lot of all caps. So that can be uh, a bit of an issue. So that being said, um, the concept of following print is also um, has also helped the process because we don't have to implement rules that are specific to braille formatting that wouldn't be seen in print. And a final aspect of the effect of UEB on automation is the creation of new symbols. So we now have a lot more symbols at our disposal that are being used with increasing frequency in print. So things like arrows, being able to distinguish uh, different kinds of typeface, and even transcriber defined symbols that allow us to, to, um, to portray symbols that were really difficult to do in the past. It's, it's made it a lot easier to provide an exact representation of the print statement so I realize I'm kind of going through this quickly without giving as as much of an explanation as I maybe would with a longer period of time but very quickly benefits and drawbacks of all of this um, benefits of automation time obviously it's a lot faster therefore it's more cost effective the quantity that can be produced in a short period of time is dramatically increased so if you're somebody who just wants access to more braille um, that's that's great. That's a huge advantage. Drawbacks, of course, there are certain code and formatting rules that really do require human intervention. There's, there's no way around that. Um, And I'm not talking about errors that lead to ambiguity, because when we come across things like that, we of course, find ways to fix that. But there's certain things that in an ideal world, you might format something a certain way. um, But in an automated setting where what you're going for is speed and and, and getting getting the content into the person's hands, sometimes um, your focus maybe isn't going to be on making the document look uh, 100% perfect in terms of formatting. The vast majority of printed, cr- Printed material is created without a thought for document accessibility. So it is really important to know when automation's appropriate and when, when it's not. And I talked about this a little earlier about you know, technical material, things for those who are just learning braille, anything that has a lot of visual information that needs you know transcriber's notes or needs to be reformatted so that it will make sense in braille. And again, things like pie charts, uh, complicate complex tables, that kind of thing. If you're, um, you know, if the purpose of a document is that you're just reading it for fun, it's, you know, you're reading Pride and Prejudice or War and Peace, that's a little bit different. But if you've got a textbook and and it's a math textbook or a science textbook or stats or whatever it might be, and, you know, you're going to, you're writing a, you know, you're writing exams and presentations and papers based on this stuff, you really need it to be properly formatted and and properly transcribed. One quick comment on electronic for braille versus hard copy, and this isn't really the focus, but this sort of goes without saying, I guess, but, you know, there are times where electronic braille is just fine. It's, it's perfectly, uh, it's perfectly usable and it's portable and uh, saves on paper and all, all those sorts of good things. But there is a time and a place for that. And just as print readers, um, just as for a print reader, there's no substitute sometimes for actual sheets of paper. This is this is also true for, for Braille readers. And just to kind of, you know, emphasize that point, I'm actually reading from hard copy now because I didn't want to take the chance that, you know, my display would die or something would, you know, the battery would die or whatever, something would happen. So um, my last, the last points that I wanted to make were just, I had talked about uh, tips for braille readers to to sort of uh, gain more access to their own, uh, being more proactive in getting access to braille. And so I, I won't go into a lot of detail on these tips, but I'll just outline them here and you can read the paper for more detail if you'd like basically learn about the transcription process understand how it works there are many things about braille transcription that um, a blind person a braille reader can do uh, quite easily and so I would encourage braille readers to learn about that learn how the software works Uh, learn um, you know what what can you you know if you don't have access to something like Duxbury maybe you want to try braille blaster you want to try other options that are um, well, there aren't there aren't a ton of Braille software out there, and Duxbury is certainly um, got a lot of features and and is very very usable by by Braille readers. But learn about how it works, play with it if you have access to it, make the most of the technology that you have. One of the questions we get uh, so often in our info at BLC mailbox is comes from braille readers who have technology and they haven't learned how to use it yet and they really want to be able to to pair it with an iphone or access books or do whatever it is they might want to do and so i always just encourage them trial and error Uh, not that again not to downplay training but there's a lot of resources online and most people their issue is that they're afraid of breaking their device and i always sort of joke that apart from dumping your cappuccino on your device or dropping it on the floor, you're probably not going to break it just by experimenting. So we always encourage people, you know, there are things like the Applevis user list. Most most of the manufacturers, if you if you sort of look around for it, you can find resources, even if you don't have access to actual training. So I would encourage you, if you have a braille display, um, play with it. Just, you know, trial and error, be persistent. Um, i I find it it's 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 sort of a um a challenging situation when you hear about someone who's had a display for a long time and and just hasn't you know been able to to put it to good use and really wants to so I would just say you know give it a try, see what you can do there's there's lots of resources out there, and even being persistent if there's a specific document that you want um if you look hard enough usually you can you can either find it in a format that works or you can find somebody that can help you get it. Um, I have most of the books that I've acquired over time and the different things, I've you know, spent a lot of time finding different resources and I'm always happy to share those too with other people who are trying to uh, increase access to braille. So in conclusion, I guess I would just say that the advent of refreshable braille has had a huge impact of course on the vitality of the code itself and, and um, our access to it the proliferation of low-cost displays i think was just going to increase this um, make it make braille easier to attain and, and more practical for us to use the changes that have occurred in the last several years make it um you know make more braille available than you know what i'm sure a lot of us could ever have imagined and so with that being said who knows what will happen in the next 20 years if things have changed so much in the last you know 10 um it's exciting to think about what we have to look forward to I think where you will need to think outside of the box though and um, be creative i think some of the traditional things that we've typically done um are still going to work but things are constantly changing and i think that trend is just going to continue so I hope I've given you something to think about. And again, if you'd like to read the paper for more information, you're certainly welcome to do that Um, or ask me questions at the General Assembly. And uh, with that, I will conclude. Thanks so much, everyone.